uh, on Sundays for worship as we gather together, as we open our hearts, as we seek for God to speak to us uh, and speak into our lives to shape us. Uh, And as we open God's word together this morning, uh, my prayer, my hope is that that transformation uh, will be powerful, that it will be undeniable in our lives. When I was uh, in first grade, uh, I had a, a teacher named Miss Stumpf. Stump with an F at the end. It was a hard name to get used to saying in first grade, not nearly as hard as the woman herself. Uh, she was the scariest person I had ever been around in my life at that point. She genuinely seemed like she couldn't stand any of us in our class. Uh, Everything we did seemed to make her angry, frustrated, irritated. Uh, I don't know what was going on in her life, but in first grade, you're not thinking about the psychological state of your teacher. You're just scared because she's yelling all the time and We had to be in the the corner all the time. I remember the whole class would often have to be completely silent and still all the way through recess because someone had gotten an answer wrong. wrong. Uh, She would threaten to hit us with a yardstick if we spoke without, you know, raising our hand and being called on. I mean, she she was scary. Uh, and, And so I decided I was going to do something to get even. I don't know what possessed me to do that. I don't know why I thought I could get even. But I decided the best way to do that would be to steal something from her. Again, first grade, I can't really remember what was going on in my mind. Maybe I had seen the Disney's version of of Robin Hood that weekend. I don't know. But I thought I was going to somehow level the playing field by taking something that didn't belong to me. And I really wanted it to be something that would really make her even more angry than normal. And then she wouldn't be able to figure it out. You could tell I wasn't thinking this through all the way, right? So so I, we're supposed to be having lunch together in the cafeteria. I'm there. I tell her I need to go to the restroom. She tells me not to get lost and come back as soon as possible. And then I promptly leave the cafeteria and don't go to the restroom and go back to our classroom and get in there. And I start rifling through her desk looking for whatever it is I'm going to steal. And I'm not really finding anything that, you know, inspiring. It's all office supplies. But finally, I come to a little box of paper clips. It's a brand new box of paper clips. Miss Stump loves paper clips. She loves talking about paper clips. She, she makes sure that all of our stacks of paper are always exactly lined up when she hands them out. She talks about how paper clips are, are a sign of order in the world. And I think this is it. This is what I'm going to take. So I open up the box of paper clips and I, I, as quickly as I can, I, I, I empty all of them out into my pockets and I run back to the cafeteria and get back at the table. And she is already angry at me because it's taken me so long to go to the restroom. But she says, fine, okay, we, we have recess. Then we go back to the classroom and I get back in there and we're supposed to be having quiet time while we're reading And I hear her start to slam a drawer open and look around. And she starts muttering under her breath. And she slams it closed. And she opens up another drawer. And I'm getting excited because it's working, right? It's as if it took any great talent to make this lady angry, right? So, but it's working. And so, 
she, she, keeps, she looks through everything in her desk. She starts looking through a, a filing cabinet. And finally, she interrupts our quiet time. And she says, okay, I don't know which one of you little thieves got into my desk. But I know for a fact I had a brand new box of paper clips in this top drawer. It was full. It was going to help me make sure that all of your packets that were going home with you tonight were in order. And now I can't do it. And I want to know... Which one of you has stolen from me? Because when I find out who it is, you're never going to steal again. You know, and my, I, my heart starts beating and racing. My hands are sweating. And then for some unknown reason to me, all these years later, I start giggling. <laughs> and she just thinks I'm mocking her. So then she's angry at me for laughing. Mr. Robinson, why do you think this is so funny? Do you know who did it? Yeah, yeah, I do, but I'm not telling you. And and so then it goes from just a little bit of a giggle to I'm laughing now. And other kids start laughing, and that's kind of good because there's cover at that point, right? It could be any one of us who's laughing. But I'm the one who instigated the laughter, right, the chaos in the classroom. And so she tells me to get up and go stand in the corner. And so I get up, and as I start to walk, I start to feel something happening. I feel these, it's like little pieces, like sparks of cold that are hitting my leg. And I realized that there was a hole in one of my pockets. And there, it must have been there before, but it is now stretched enough that now paper clips are, are two, two, three, four, five at a time. They're falling down onto my shoes and onto the floor. And I freeze in place and turn around and there's this metallic silver line of evidence from my desk to where I'm standing. And this cruel look of joy enters that woman's eyes and she says, oh, you won't be laughing anymore, Mr. Robinson. You won't ever laugh again. Uh, 20 minutes later, I'm still in the principal's office. My parents have been called. We're talking about my character or the lack thereof. It was a disaster. Now, I think you've got to, there, there's got to be a part of you that feels somewhat relieved that your preacher's not very good at the art of stealing and getting away with it. Right? And I'm guessing most of us in this room, even if we weren't trying to settle the score with a, a teacher we didn't get along with, all of us have had some moment where we're either tempted to take something that doesn't belong to us uh, or we actually go through with it, right? And, and usually it's you're, you're begging your parents for that piece of candy or some gum or something at the store and they tell you, no, not this time and we're not going to do that. And then you, you get in the, the car and they turn around and they, you've got the piece of candy or the gum that you, you weren't supposed to have, right? We, we all have these moments. It may not have been that you took it from a store. It may mean that you, you took it from your brother or your sister, or, or you took some loose change from somewhere in the house. And, and in all of those situations, it's not so much the consequences that really get to us as much as our consciences that get to us, right? That, that we know at some deep level, stealing never, never really works. I mean, even if you think you get away with it, you don't really get away with it because you, you did something that's wrong. You took something that belong to somebody else. And, and I think that, that when God is, is talking to us through his word about what it means to be 
people, his people, who live in authentic, trusting community, it makes sense, right, that that as he's giving the, the Ten Commandments, he gets to a place where he says, if you want to be able to share life and to trust one another, if, if, if you're going to be vulnerable with one another, if, if you're going to not only share your thoughts and your feelings, but also at times even your resources, then one of the most basic things that, that you need to understand is you shall not steal. Right? You're, you're not going to take something that doesn't belong to you because in that moment, you're taking more than you know. Right? We, we've had this experience before. I think all of us at some time or another have had something, we know, we know where it was, we know where we left it, and now it's gone and it's missing. And in that moment, you've got a lot of feelings that start to course through you. Right? At first you're worried maybe you forgot, but then as you think about it more, you realize, no, 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 I know exactly where I parked my car, I know exactly where I left my camera, I know, and it's gone. And, and it's not just that when someone breaks into a house or a car or a bank account that, that then there's cash missing or jewelry missing or a laptop missing, there's a sense of security and safety that in that moment is taken as well. And it gets harder and harder when people are taking things that don't belong to them. It's harder and harder for anybody to trust that the world we're living in, the community that we're living in, is a good one. And so God says, you don't, don't treat each other that way. You shall not steal. Now, whether we want it to be this way or not, I think we all have experienced the fact that in many ways, our possessions, the things we have, are an extension of ourselves, right? How you treat the things that I own feels like how you're treating me. Now, you may not want it to feel that way, but it does, right? If, if you come over to my house and you trash the place, I'm going to feel like you don't care very much about me. If I borrow your car and when I drop it off, the interior smells like three-day-old fish, you're going to assume I don't care very much about you or your feelings, Right? And somebody could try to split hairs and say, well, no, 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 that's not how I'm treating you, it's just how I'm treating your stuff. But in our world, in our lives, the, the way people treat our possessions very much starts to feel like the way they're treating us personally. And so what that means is, anytime something is stolen, anytime something is taken from someone, in that moment, it's... It's not just that they're losing whatever the value is of the object that was taken. There's something even more valuable that they're losing. It's it's their sense of of dignity and self-worth. And and I know in some ways that sounds dramatic. And it it sounds in some ways maybe abstract until you've been in that moment yourself. Until you've had that kind of experience where you realize you're not sure you feel safe to stay in the home anymore. Or you're not sure that you want the car anymore. Or you're not sure you're ever going to get on the internet again and maybe someone's going to be able to get your credit card information anymore. You start to feel nervous and anxious and small and vulnerable. You start to feel like a target. And you start to wonder who's looking out for you. Who's, who's going to protect you from people who, if they decide to, can take things from you, can, can take you for granted, can take advantage. Not just of the things you own but can take advantage of who you are 
through and through. God, surely, in creating us, understands this emotional, spiritual side to the things that we own, our possessions. He understands that whether we want them to become extensions of, of who we are or not, it's, it's just it's what happens in our relationship to the things that we work hard for. The things that we feel like, okay, this is something I need. This is something that's making my life, if not worth living, it's something that, that's making my life better to live. And I don't want anybody, I, I don't want anyone to threaten that. I don't want anyone to threaten me. Depriving people of, of things that they've worked for, it doesn't just make them feel bad. It can and it does make them feel like they are worth less than they were before. Old Testament scholar Walter Harrelson says it this way, when anyone takes away the life, the the selfhood, the honor, the goods of others, that's stealing. And the Eighth Commandment says no. And he goes on to say, stealing is any activity that damages or destroys a person's opportunity for a good life. A life that includes adequate food, clothing, shelter, work, and hope for the future. I want you to look at that definition. Stealing is any activity that damages or destroys a person's opportunity for a good life. If Harrelson's right, and I believe that he is, it means that stealing can actually be a lot more subtle than smashing a window and grabbing something and running. The kind of stealing that Harrelson's talking about here is a whole lot closer to moments in our world when somebody who can chooses to overpower people who can't stop them from taking more than their fair share. From taking, as, uh, as, as Harrelson puts it, this opportunity to have a good life. Whenever someone takes far more than they need, when at the same time there are people who don't yet have what they need, there is some kind of theft going on that I think we're not fully aware of. It's, it's not necessarily the theft of any one material possession. It is the theft of the opportunity for a good life. And you and I, we may be very far from physically taking something from someone by force, but we're probably not so far away from holding on to more than we need while others don't yet have what they need. Right? Nobody ever wants to tell a story or read a story and realize that in that story they're playing a role they don't want to play. Nobody in this room wants to say that in any way we have taken things that we shouldn't have taken. That we've, we've held on to things that in trying to bless ourselves we might have actually caused other people to not experience blessing. None of us wants to say that we've ever in any way stolen something. But if we think of Harrelson's definition here, I think that we're going to have to confess that we're not just talking about our possessions and what we've done to get those possessions and what we want to do to keep those possessions to ourselves. I think we really have to ask a different level of question about our possessions, and that is, how are we using the possessions we have to impact the lives of others? 
And, and not just some people, but all people from all kinds of walks of life. Right? I think what we've got to do is stop asking ourselves how we can define stealing and, and, and just leaving the conversation there. I think we need to ask ourselves, could we come to a place of understanding the opposite of stealing? Right? What would a, a life look like that's, that's doing everything? Not just to stop stealing from anybody else, but to do the opposite of that. If you've got your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start reading together in verse 23. Paul writes, Renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit and clothe yourself with the new person created according to God's image in justice and true holiness. Therefore, after you have gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor, because we are parts of each other in the same body. Be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun go uh, set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal, which means Paul knows that thieves go to church in Ephesus. Right? Who else is going to hear a sermon? Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work, using their hands to do good so that they will have something to share with whoever is in need. Okay, so, so Paul, in the midst of talking to the, the Christians in Ephesus about what does it mean for us to be God's people? What does it mean for us to be true members of Christ's community? What what does it take for that to happen? What are the raw ingredients? Paul says, well, for starters, you don't lie to your neighbor. Instead, you speak truthfully. And then he says, and you know, you don't hold on to petty, angry grudges. Instead, you do what you can to overcome your differences and your disagreements. And then he says, instead of stealing, what I want you to do is work so that you'll have something that you can use to help other people who could use that help, right? So that, so that you can help people who are in true need. Now, in the past several weeks, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, and as we have been noticing here near the end of the Ten Commandments, most of these commandments are worded negatively, right? They, they sound like thou shalt not. And we've talked about the fact that these negative commandments, they're less stop signs that we're supposed to be, you know, pumping the brakes and realizing, oh, I've gone too far, or, you know, I, I need to, to slow down, and they're really more like wrong way signs, right, where we need to, we need to turn around and go back in the entire other direction. These, these are dangerous trajectories, God says, these negative commandments. These are not just single decisions, but they're they're lifetimes of decisions, of habits, of practices that take you in a direction that you don't want to go. If you want to have true life, if you want to have good life, if you want to have a meaningful life, if you want to have life that you actually get to share in with a community, don't do these things. Don't live in these ways. Well, Paul is, is taking that exact same approach, right, when he says, Instead of living in this direction, where you lie to your neighbor, 
head the other direction and tell the truth. Instead of living in a direction where every time somebody offends you or makes you angry, you start plotting your revenge, you know, don't steal paper clips. Sit down and have a talk. Work through the disagreement. Live in a different way. Live in a different direction. And when he gets to the opposite of stealing, it's clear that the opposite of stealing in Scripture, and especially in this passage, is sharing. The opposite of stealing is sharing. Paul doesn't just say in Ephesians 4, look, just stop taking stuff from other people. It's a sin. He says, stop stealing. That's the first thing. Right? And why would he say that? Well, he's kind of talked about this in different ways as he talks about what it means to be a true community. I mean, at some basic level, stealing doesn't only threaten the dignity and the worth of the person who gets robbed. Stealing diminishes the personhood, the humanity, the dignity of the person who steals. Right? Everybody loses. Stop stealing. Stop taking things that aren't yours. But then there's a reason so that. So that you can work and, and earn enough so that you, you can take care of your basic necessities. I think implied here is work hard enough so that you can take care of the necessities of the people in your family. But work hard enough that not only are you earning enough to take care of yourself and your family, but so that you have enough beyond that to help people who are in need. People that you know don't have any other way to have an opportunity for a good life. I think Paul knows, like so many of the other people in Scripture tell us they know, that there's something redemptive, there's something holy, there's something sacred about the gift God gives you when God empowers you to work. Right? When, when God gives you health and energy and talent, when God gives you opportunity for you to earn enough to not only take care of your basic necessities, but to then start to dream with what you have left over, how are you going to use that to help other people? Not just grow your own pile of resources, right? Not just cause your own bank account to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the difficulty here is the assumption that the, reason, the only reason you would ever really try to make more than you need is to help other people who are in need, that goes against almost everything in our culture. Right? It's never enough. However much you have, it's never enough. And then there's this hope that just a little bit more will be enough. But then you get to that place and you realize, my life's not all that different at this level than it was just a, a little, you know, a few dollars ago. So now maybe if I get a few more and a few, and it just, well, once you get into that kind of way of thinking, there's no way out. This is probably sharing too much with you uh, about the Robinson's entertainment choices. But when I was growing up, uh, one of my favorite singers was Michael Jackson. I had a red leather jacket and a white glove. I, I was so cool. I promise you, I was so cool. So, a couple weeks ago, for some weird reason, I decided to play a little bit of Michael Jackson for the girls. We had been listening to Michael Jackson nonstop for two weeks, which is proof it's better music than you think it is. But anyway... 
We've been listening to a lot of Michael Jackson, right? And you know how when you discover something, you ask a bunch of questions. So the girls are asking all kinds of questions about Michael Jackson. Then it just so happened yesterday that Lauren, Lauren is watching. I'm in the room kind of watching. Okay, we're watching Fixer Upper. And the girls, somebody says, are Chip and Joanna, are they rich? And we both immediately said, oh, yeah, yeah, they got plenty of money. And Riley, I think, asks, well, do they have more money than Michael Jackson? <laughs> oh, it was you, Reese. Okay, it was Reese. <laughs> and, and then I find myself like, oh, yeah. I mean, Michael Jackson, has way, he's dead. He has more money than them. Right, and we start, and I start realizing how ridiculous it is to have a conversation about who's richer. Right, that at some point, and I ended up saying this to to Reese, I guess. Honey, at some point, it doesn't matter anymore. And I thought, man, I wish I could take my own advice more often. Right, that at some point, it just doesn't matter anymore. Okay, here's the point, according to Paul. Here's the point where it shouldn't matter to you anymore. Are your basic needs met? Are the basic needs of your family met? Okay, it doesn't matter anymore. How are you going to find a way to get in a relationship with people who need, who don't yet have those basic necessities met? And are you going to share with them freely, willingly, trusting that the God who's given you the ability and the energy and the opportunity to provide for yourself up to this point in your life will continue to be the one who takes care of you into the future? That God hasn't only promised to give you a bunch of bread at the very beginning of your life that you've got to somehow uh, protect at all costs, but rather that we've been taught to pray by Jesus, God, give me enough for today, and I'm going to trust that tomorrow when I pray, Lord, give me enough for today, that you'll answer then too. You'll respond faithfully then in the same way that you've always responded faithfully to me in the past. We have to find ways. To reject the lie that no matter how much we have right now, the best possible life is a few dollars away. We have to do it not just once. We have to do it every time we turn on the television or we turn on a podcast or we listen to the radio or we open up a magazine. And we are bombarded by voices that tell us that the good life, the best life is a purchase away. And it wouldn't matter if we talked about this every single Sunday. We would still, the rest of the week, I think, struggle with remembering enough really is enough. And I know there are people in this room who don't yet have enough. And this church is committed and dedicated to helping you have enough. And the only way that's going to really be possible is if those of us who already know we have more than enough say, I want to share. I want to help. Now, here's something that I want to be direct with you about. I I think as Scott mentioned during communion, this is a giving generous church. Right? This sermon is not leading up to some financial campaign. It's leading to a thank you. I want to thank you for all the times that I have watched this church approach a moment where there's a clear need. And collectively this church doesn't just open up its heart, but we open up 
our checkbooks and our wallets and our bank accounts, and we give generously. Okay, I, I think of Harvest Sunday every year. Every time we set the new goal, I get nervous, and every time we meet or exceed the goal. Right? I, I think about all the ways that, that we have opportunities to help other people in this community. Stephen's going to get up in a, a few moments after the sermon and talk about the Christian Service Center and, and a food drive that we're going to be a part of. Um, we've, got, we've got partnerships with Christian homes and, and disability resources. We have people here that work for that, that organization, Habitat for Humanity. I, I love the way that we have a group of people here who are dedicated not only financially but through time and effort and talent to help the Bhutanese refugees that God sends to us. I love the fact that this church is investing financially in something like Bar Church. I love the fact that people give up vacation time and, and their own hard-earned money to get on planes and go to Rwanda and to Haiti and to Peru. And I'm leaving all kinds of places and organizations out because we'd be here all afternoon if I named all of them. And isn't that a wonderful problem to have? This is a giving church. I just want us to remember that for this church to stay a giving church, for this church to remain a generous church, we're going to have to keep asking ourselves over and over and over again, who else could use some help? Who else could we bless? How could I rearrange the way I'm spending my money? How could I rearrange the decisions I make about my own money so that however much I've given up to this point, I find new ways to partner sacrificially with God to give even more? Right? I think there's this wonderful gift that, that we've been, been given by, by God blessing us with financial resources, but there's only one real reason God has blessed any of us with financial resources, and that is so that we will bless other people. And when we forget that, when we start to think it's mostly about our sense of security or it's mostly about making sure that we're insulated from any type of, of, of event that may be coming towards us that we can't predict and we can't know and so we've got to be as cautious and we've, we've, we've got to be as careful. I get all of those emotions. I have all of those emotions. And at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, I think what that means is we trust more in our financial resources than in the Father who gave us those resources. We've got to make the, de the decision. Every single time there's an opportunity, we have to make the decision again and again and again to say, yeah, I could choose to spend this money on me and what I want but I'm going to make freely the choice to give this money away because I can't sleep at night knowing that I have far more than I need while there are still children in our world who don't yet have the basics of what they need. That we don't want to close our hearts to that, that suffering. That we don't want to walk away from people who are still struggling. I am so thankful for the church that we are. I'm so thankful for the generosity that you have shown to me and my family and you have shown to countless other families, not just in Abilene, but everywhere. But I just, I want to encourage us 
to never assume however much we've given, we've given enough. That isn't the way Jesus shows. It's not the example that he, that he displays for us in the way that he finds time and time again to go above and beyond what anybody else asks for or expects. We have to be intentional about this. We have to develop strategies to do this. We have to talk more about this. At our dinner tables and in our conference tables, we have to keep finding ways to do more. Not because we're trying to convince God that we're obedient people who deserve God to to bless us even more, but we want to do more out of gratitude. We want to do more because we're already thankful. We want to do more because it's who God is turning us into. Every good thing you have in your life is grace. And grace is always meant to be shared. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be just outside these double doors. They're going to be there to pray with you, to talk with you, to be community to you. And so if you have any needs at all that this church can help you with, if you'd like to, to talk about things that are going on in your life that are, that are great, and you just want to share that story with a Christian couple, whatever it is at all, Please go to them as together we stand and sing. All to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence Let